Technology and the Young, Protecting Our Most Valuable Asset. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is John O'Bacon, Community and Collaboration Strategy Consultant and author of People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business, Brand, and Teams. Welcome, John O. It's great to be here, Tanya. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for, for joining us again. So of course. For those people who have maybe don't know who you are, give us a brief summary of your professional endeavors. Yeah. So I... Um, in a nutshell, I build help companies to build communities. Um, I'm really passionate about the value that communities can bring, not just to companies, but to, to politics, to activism and beyond. Uh, as a consultant, I work with organizations to help them to understand you know, what they want to accomplish in terms of building communities around their, their business, around their products, building communities inside of their organizations. And I'll help them to, to put a strategy in place and to train their teams and to get, get things up and running. So... I want to talk to you about this. This is this is an important topic in technology. Okay. It's something that we don't talk about that often, but it's it's about the most precious thing that we have. That I mean, the news is packed with stories of digital disruption, the newest smart device, the latest data yep. breach. But what is the effect of all of this technology on our most fragile asset, our kids? Right. Yes, it's been interesting watching this because Google and Apple, for example, you know, they, they launched their digital wellness initiatives. Um, and there's been various studies around the, um, the impact of screen time, um, not just on, on kids, but also on parents as well. And kids reporting that their parents are addicted and parents reporting that, that their kids are addicted. And um, there's no doubt in my mind that it's, it's, a, it's a challenge and you only have to go on any form of public transportation or go to any family gathering and you'll see people glued to their cell phones. Um, to me, I think what's going to happen here is we're going to see a, um, a bit of a sea change in this, particularly with younger generations, where in the same way that today in many parts of the world, it's completely normal to focus on recycling on exercise, on eating well, and th those kinds of healthy habits. I suspect that screen time um, is also going to be an element of this, where people are going to see this as kind of a social element that they want to aspire to, that they're, they're not gonna be wedded to their screens all the time. I think it's gonna, in, in some ways, become a little bit of a stigma. It'll take a while to get there, but younger generations are increasingly healthy. They're very conscious of their health, and I think they're aware of this as being a challenge. Tricky thing to me is it's not just being wedded to a screen. It's also, for example, how people are utilizing things like social media. And there's a whole, whole set of elements that kind of feed into that as well. So at what age should children be introduced to various tech gadgets and services? And can parents manage tech introduction and usage if all the children see and grownups around them is a focus on screens and devices? Yeah. In terms of what age that should be, this is, I don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, I, my wife and I have a seven-year-old and he's already asking for a phone, you know, and I thought, oh, I can be smart here. We'll get him an iPod touch, which looks like a phone, but it's actually, you know, it doesn't have a phone in it. It's just a glorified tablet. Um, but most of the parents who I've spoken to, they tend to introduce phones to their kids at around, around nine or 10 years old. Um, but they've, they've got screens and they've had screens for a while. So, you know, we got our son, for example, a Amazon uh, Fire, like the kids version. And it's a great little device and it supports like learning and he reads books on it and all the rest of it. And I think that's okay. To me, it's not so much, um, it's not so much the type of device that they get. It's more that they have it in moderation. Like Nintendo have done a really good job, for example, with their Nintendo Switch, where they've got a phone app 
um, where you can set alarms that can limit the amount of playtime that kids have got. And it reports not just, you know, how much they're playing, but it reports what games they're playing and things such as that. So to me, that's the right kind of approach. But I think we need to build into kids, not just, okay, you only get an hour's worth of gameplay today, but also to your point, Tanya, not seeing their parents with their noses buried in devices constantly. Um, and it's not just phones, it's TV and it's smartwatches and it's tablets as well. So then what are the biggest advantages and even disadvantages you see to growing up as a digital native? I mean, I think one of the benefits of course, well, I think there's a number of benefits, right? I think it gives, in many ways it can give kids um, a sense of confidence that they can, that they can communicate and connect with other people around the world. And I think it can reduce loneliness in some ways. I remember when I was younger and I first started getting connected to the internet, it was a big deal. Like I could chat to people on the other side of the planet, which was new and special back then, but it's not really new and special now. Um, but there is also, you know, there is many incidences of bullying and of shaming and the negative elements of when you bring a bunch of, of kids together into the same kind of environment. And I think one of the risks of screen time and being connected online is that people can be anonymous. You know, we all know that it's very different when you're speaking face to face with someone compared to someone online. And, um, and I think, you know, when, when kids are developing and they're developing their brains, they're developing their social skills. If you're not as aware of that, then it can seem the entirety of your connection to, to, to other human beings. And that, that can be risky. I just think with all of these things, you got to have good parenting, you know, and I'm not suggesting I'm the parent, best parent in the world, but, you know, I think there needs to be a healthy element of saying, you know, okay, what you see online is not necessarily reality, not just to kids, but to parents as well. There are some people who are obsessive over the way they're treated on social media or the perspective of their friends, or they didn't get enough likes, like Instagram are experimenting, for example, with hiding likes and things like that. It's all about putting this stuff in context in my mind. So let's, let's talk about that. The negative effects of social media have proven to be disastrous to far too many children, by the way, of psychological damage and even mm. suicide. Yeah. Generations ago, though, we understood the difference, right, between sticks and stones and name calling. So right. how do we teach today's children to be resilient in the face of negative online chatter? It's, I, I, in my mind, there's a couple of things that need to happen. And, what, and part of the challenge here is I don't think there is enough education um, in schools about this or in families about this because, you know, you and I, we're, we both exist in, in, a, in a world that's surrounded by technology. We're interested in technology. Your audience is interested in technology. But if you're living in a rural farming community and your kids have got a, a phone and they're getting connected to Instagram and to, to social media, you, those parents might not have the expertise to be able to help them navigate that world. And I think there's a few elements to this. One is it's always important that we train kids to look at the intent of something, not just the words, right? So years ago, I wrote this book uh, called Dealing with Disrespect because a lot of my friends were getting attacked for things on the internet. Like uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was actually a guy who was working in open source who produced an open source project and put it out there. And then just a whole bunch of people on the internet started attacking him for producing this project. And he was writing code and giving it away for free. And he just said, that's it, screw it, I'm done. And he left the open source community and has never come back. And I wrote Dealing with Disrespect back then as an effort to try and help other people who've 
been through a similar experience where they do something and then like, but then the, the, you know, the, the haters on the internet came after me. And this was really before a lot of this started happening on social media. So that book's probably a little bit out of date. But one element of this to me that's always helped me is to look at, let's not just look at the words that are coming from somebody because many things will influence the words that we see, right? People are, have varying levels of sophistication in terms of communication. They come from different parts of the world. Um, um, there are different age groups that play a role in this. Um, some people handle criticism in different ways. And I think we need to teach our kids about that. Like my son, for example, was at school about three months ago and he came back and he was a little upset because this kid who's at school made some, said some, something negative to him about, I forget what it was at the time. And I just said to him, I was like, why do you care what he thinks? And I don't think my son realized that he had the power to not care. I think he, at that point, was thinking, oh, this kid said something, I, I respect this kid, and it's bad, therefore, I'm bad. And I think it, it's useful to, bit by bit, and not dominate them, but to help them to realize power is only powerful if you allow people to have the power. And I think that, but that's a really complicated psychological premise for adults to understand, let alone for kids to understand as well. But I think there needs to be more of that. But that kind of guidance and, and, and information has not really been packaged up in an easily consumable form yet. That, yeah, sure, tech people can get that, but the broader masses can, I think, wrap their heads around. So what are some of the emerging technology issues about which parents and maybe families should be aware in the new year? I think one of the challenges that really concerns me especially around social media is the impact on narcissism. Um, we're seeing this, you know, growing climate of people a being validated by, you know, the, the likes and the retweets and, and that kind of thing, which is one element. And it, that's dangerous in itself because first of all, you know, our existence is much broader than that than just social media. But secondly, social media networks have, specific algorithms. So sometimes you could post something really good that doesn't get the recognition that it does, deserves. And not all great things get all of that kind of recognition. So that's one element. But there is this growing narcissistic climate, and I think TikTok is a good example that's, that's generating this, of people just posting things for effect on the internet. And, and, and I think it's really important that what we do is we're aware of that and, and in the same way that when you, when you look at news on the media, you don't just look at the news, but you look at the source of the news, right? So for example, you know, if you watch Fox News, you're gonna get a conservative viewpoint. If you watch CNN, you're gonna get a liberal viewpoint. So I think we need to be able to evaluate the content that we're consuming and particularly being aware of that kind of narcissistic element and helping to provide balance to that, that it's not just validation on the internet that validates a human being. And again, this gets back in, into parenting in my mind, so. Good points. John O'Bacon, Community and Collaboration Strategy Consultant and author of People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business, Brand, and Teams. Thanks for your insight and uh, especially as people look forward to the next year and how we can you know, take care of our youth. I appreciate your insight. John, if Thank somebody you. wants to connect with you, how can they do that? Probably the best place is to go to my website, which is johnobacon.org. That's J-O-N-O. Uh, B-A-C-O-N dot, uh, sorry, dot com. I have, I used to have the dot org and I switched over to the dot com. So, uh, and, and it's the same handle on, uh, on social media as well. So where I'm hopefully not being massively narcissistic. So good point. Well, we'll all try to focus on that. And uh, if you guys want to find more of my interviews, 
you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.